Um, I'm going to read this morning from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but to those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles, to, obtain, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Thank you, Britton. You guys, Britton has been so huge in prepping this transition, you guys. If you get a chance, give her a high five. Say thank you. She has been huge support. Sorry, I'm feeling claustrophobic up here. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Last Sunday here. You guys okay? Yeah? All right. <clears throat> this morning, we find ourselves poised for yet another transition. <laughs> After what has been a season of a lot of transition, a year and a half, almost two years now of transition after transition, like we've, that word pivot, and like we're just rolling with the punches. That's kind of how it's been. <clears throat> it's been a crazy season. And we're, this is our last Sunday in this space that has been the home for this community for the last several years, three and a half, four years. Starting next week, as Britton was saying, we're going to be meeting a different time. Our rhythms are changing. 4 p.m. How many of you guys are excited about 4 p.m.? Good, good. Rhythm, rhythms are changing. We're going to be sharing a facility with another congregation, Santa Rosa Bible Church. They have been incredibly generous in opening their doors for us. It, it is a gift from God, truly, guys. Like, it's, it's amazing. Um, yeah, to the, yeah, to the point to where, like, when we were getting the keys, they were like, hey, we want you to use the baseball field. We want you to use the here. Here's more keys than you asked for, more access than you even asked for. Um, 
But as we've been praying, as the elders been praying and thinking about this transition, it's been amazing to us that as we've prepped this sermon series, which was done months ago, this series lands us to the section about the church right perfectly at time for our transition. So we find ourselves in the section of the creed, these few lines, the holy Catholic church, the communion of the saints. And we're actually, we're going to extend that. We're going to go a third week. Today we're going to talk about the holy Catholic church. Next week, the communion of the saints. The week after that, we're going to do a little bit of a, a panel with some of the elders. We're going to talk about what does this actually mean for us as a community? How do we work out what this means practically? How do, how, what's our leadership structure? What's, what, what's a deacon? What's an elder? We're going to like really hash through some Q&A type questions. Um, so if you have questions like that, shoot me an email. Um, I think that'll be a fun time. All of this is under the main section that we looked at last week. The creed's broken up into three sort of main sections, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I've been saying for weeks now as we've prepped for this move that the church is not a people Sorry, the church is a people who, not a place where. The church is a people who, not a place where. The church is not this building. Refuge is not this building. This building is a tool that helps us do what churchy stuff. It helps us be the church. My hope this morning is to unpack that statement, unpack this statement a little bit, and to hopefully, as we make this transition, we would not lose sight of who we are as the church and what we're called to be doing. So this morning, I think we come to your favorite part of the creed, most of you, right? Holy Catholic Church. I'm sure for many of you, uh, when we get to this part of the creed every week, you're not quite sure what to do. <laughs> Some of you are like, I, I picture it like a, you know, kind of an awkward radio edit of a song. Maybe in your mind you're like, oh, oh, um, um, holy Christian church. Like changing the words. Um, hopefully we can, we can address some of that this morning. Clear up, why are we talking about Catholic? Thought we were beyond that. So here's where I'm going this morning. Three key things. I'll tell you what we're going to try to do. I'm going to attempt to define these three words this morning, holy, Catholic, church. I'm going to do so backwards. We're going to start with church, then Catholic, then holy. <clears throat> okay, you guys ready? So what is the church? What is the church? That is the question. The word church is our common English translation of the Greek word ekklesia. Can I say that? Ekklesia? <laughs> ekklesia derives from the word, from a Greek word, uh, ekkleo, which means to call out. It was a verb for summonsing an army to assemble. 
like Avengers Assemble or something. At the time of the writing of the New Testament, at the time of the development of the New Testament, it was widely used to refer to gatherings of people or of some sort of assembly. It was commonly used to describe when a group was called out from among the community as representatives to accomplish a common task. Whether that was to build something or do something or, or to gather an army, it was to call out from among the community to accomplish something. You'll notice that that definition, that word ecclesia, that has very little to do with a building. In fact, for the first several centuries of the church, there were no church buildings. The building, as I've been saying, is a tool that enables us to gather. This is a convenient place for us to gather, right? There's a couple hundred seats, there's a PA system, there's screens so you can see what I'm talking about. This is a tool that helps us accomplish it, but we could do this. We've done it in the parking lot, right? There are, in the New Testament, more than 100 different terms metaphors, images that are used to describe God's people whom have been entered into this saving relationship with Jesus. All of that we put under the banner of what we define the church. We see some of those in our passage from this morning. In Peter, the church is described as a spiritual house, a temple, is a holy or a royal priesthood, workers for that temple, a holy nation, a chosen race, a people for God's own possession. Elsewhere in the New Testament, the church is called a body, Christ's body, a household, a family, a plant, a vine, a flock, a bride, The analogies and images could keep going on and on and on. Those are just the main ones. Every one of these metaphors and images and pictures provides shade and texture to the way that we define church. That's why there's not an easy, just catchy definition for church, because every one of those images provides context for what exactly we mean by church. In the New Testament, I think the simplest way to think of this is the New Testament word for church refers to the visible expression of the gathered followers of Jesus who've been grafted into a community that God created, all under the banner of Jesus and embodying this hope and anticipation that lives out a way of life leading towards the new creation. That's a big, big definition. But I think simply put, Eugene Peterson says that the church, we are a colony of heaven in a country of death. I'm like, that's, that's so perfect. <laughs> All the different aspects of what makes that colony of heaven a reality is what makes up the church. So perhaps the church is best thought of as the Christian community. I'm, 
but we're going to run with that today, the Christian community. For the early church, this was important because for them, they were united in the understanding that while men and women, while we come individually to faith, there's something individual It involved, by definition, becoming a part of a family. There is no exclusively individualness. Coming to faith in Christ requires, necessitates being part of a family. The goal of Christian mission for the early church and now was not to save individuals, though it involves that, but it is to call out a people for God's name and for Jesus' glory. The local community, the local gathering of Christians was important because it was, it was where the communal life of Christ was most personally engaged in and realized. This is where we realize and engage in what is happening inside of you individually. The modern Western individualist, it's the way we see things. The lens that we see the world is very individual. But for the New Testament, the early church, the, the writings that we read are very communal. It is very much about a family, a community of followers of Jesus, a community of disciples. I think this is why this is even in the creed. Have you thought about that? Like, why is this even in the creed? We, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the church. We... We don't believe in the church in the same way we believe in God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, right? It's not quite the same. So why is it here? I think that it is within the church, in the context of this community, in the context of a community of disciples that we believe. I believe in Jesus. I believe in God. I believe in the Holy Spirit within the context of this church. My belief is worked out amongst you guys. That's what the church is. That's why it's in the creed. The community of faith is the context of our belief. This is where we work out our salvation. This is where we we struggle and challenge each other to become more and more like Jesus. It happens in the context of community. Amen? Okay, so, Catholic. I was joking with Jason yesterday. We're going we're gonna to go ahead and trace the line of the popes from Peter, okay? <clears throat> no, not really. I'm sure for some of you this morning, that word Catholic, uh, you're not fond of that. It carries baggage, history. Some people, like I said a few minutes ago, they, they changed this actually in the creed to the Holy Christian Church. I do, I prefer the, the traditional Holy Catholic Church, and here's why. 
while most of us, when we hear the word Catholic, we think of the Pope, and we think of confessionals, and we think of all the great reasons that we had the Reformation, right? And there's a lot of great reasons for the Reformation, trust me. Um, But when we say Catholic here, we don't mean the Roman Catholic Church. It's, It's not what we're talking about, right? Amen? Okay. The word Catholic very simply means universal. It means universal, but even that... I think meat needs, requires some clarification, right? Because <clears throat> when we think of universal, when we think of, some people call it the big C church, I think we typically think of the fact that the presence of the church is everywhere. There's, there's an expression of the church all over the place. And that, that's true. That's, that's kind of part of the definition here. Um, the church does exist all over the world. But this word Catholic is probably even better defined as according to the whole. Universal or according to the whole. So that what makes the church Catholic is not its presence everywhere, but rather the fact that people from everywhere are a part of it. And that people from everywhere contribute to it. Actually, the diversity amongst the church is what makes the church Catholic, not its its uniformity. So when we say Catholic or universal, we're not talking about uniformity. We're not talking about a single denomination or a single tradition or a single thread. It actually means a variety of experiences and perspectives are necessary as part of contributing to what makes the church Catholic. This is a beautiful thing. There are local congregations all over our county right now that are proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus, that are proclaiming the gospel, different expressions of how that's worked out. But this is a beautiful thing, and it's God-ordained. Now, I mean, clearly, we need to get better at unity and working together and loving one another, but this is a beautiful thing. When we say Holy Catholic Church, we are not referring to one denomination, tradition, or uh, branch of the church. Quite the contrary. We are actually affirming the existence of the church even in the midst of various theologies, various traditions, various politics, various things. We're affirming that even in that context, we are members of one church. When we recite this part of the creed, we're declaring the essential unity of the church throughout all the ages. We're saying that we, we're saying that there really is one spiritual and one invisible church for all of us who are genuinely born of God. What we're saying is that we go to the church that Peter and Paul and Polycarp, and Francis of Assisi, and Luther, and Calvin, and Wesley, and Edwards, and Spurgeon, and Schaefer, and Lewis, name your spiritual hero. We attend the church they attended. We're a part of that great lineage. I want to go to that church. 
That's the kind of church I want to be a part of with great heritage and history. We're a part of the Catholic Church, the, the Catholic Church. All right, one more word here, holy. I'm, if I'm honest, I actually have a harder time with this word, I think, on the surface than Catholic. What is, is the church really holy? What does that even mean? Hasn't the church disappointed way too many people to deserve that description? Holy? Throughout the centuries, the church has often punished good and rewarded evil. At times, the church has encouraged sin and discouraged godliness. Sometimes, the church has seemed to be on a dedicated mission to hide Jesus from the world. Just being honest about church history here, it's, it's, it's not all glorious. By and large, the history of the church teaches us more about what we are not to do than what we are to do. And then why is it important for every Christian, for all of us here, to say, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church? For starters, let's define this word holy, because I think that's important. Holy is one of those words that we don't really think of outside of the context of church, right? It's not something you use when you're like talking to your friends or trying to describe the, the latte that you just got or something. Holy is not that kind of a word. Please don't call your lattes holy. <clears throat> I think the main way people think of the word holy is, has to do with moral perfection. Moral purity. Being perfect. And that is, that is a definition of holy. That is part of it. I think that's why... Even for me, that, that's a little bit holy. And if that's your definition of holy, then it doesn't fit the church. Maybe one day, we pray that one day we know that through Scripture, like, well, Jesus will have a glorious bride. But at this point, and I don't think through any point in history, could we say that the church has been morally pure? I think a better way of understanding holiness is to think about it with, as, as proximity to God. The word holy can mean to be separated or other than, different. It can mean of a completely different order or class. So when the prophets fall on their face and they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, what they're saying is, you are completely other than. I can't even wrap my brain around what you are. There is no one like you. That's what, that's what holy means. So when we call something that is not God holy, it often has to do with its 
with that thing's or person's proximity or closeness to God. If God is other than and distant and apart and separate and of a different class, when something comes near to him, that thing is said to be holy. So what makes the church holy? Like we said, this whole content, this whole section of the creed is under the heading, I believe in the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit, his presence among us as a community of faith is what makes the church holy. It is not our moral purity that makes the church holy, but in fact, that the, the fact that the Holy Spirit is working in our context. The fact that the Holy Spirit of God is here among us. That when two or three are gathered, there I am in your midst. That's what makes us the, as the church holy. That God is here with us. So to declare that the church is holy is to remind ourselves that we are dealing with a community uh, that when we are dealing with this community, we're not just dealing with a random group of people. This is not just a friend group or a social club. Even if you love these people, this is not just that. We are dealing with the presence of the most holy. We are dealing with the power of the Holy Spirit in our context. There is something unique about the gathering of believers because God's here. The Holy Spirit's here. He's in our midst. Kevin Van Hooser is a theologian. He said, said this, because God is three persons in relationship, referring to the Trinity, the only way we can realize the Imago Dei, the image of God in humanity, is to form a community of persons in loving relationship. Because God is three in perfect community, the only way for us to realize the image of God is to live in community. He goes on, he says, the church then is to be the community of God, not only because it has been created by the triune God, but because the church shares in the triune community itself, there is something holy about our assembly about our gathering. God's here. So when we say this, we are not claiming moral purity. We are not cl claiming that we've reached perfection because we're the church or that the church somehow as an organization is perfect. Please, we're not. What we are claiming is that the presence of the Holy One is here. To be honest, this actually renders our lack of moral purity even more tragic. That marred history of the church is even more tragic because the Holy Spirit has been there the entire time. So again, why is it important for us to say Holy Catholic Church? 
two more reasons. First, I think we should love the church, we should value the church, because Jesus does. Are you an expert in the sins and the shortcomings of the church? Somebody earlier mentioned that they could write a list, 10 pages, of all the failings of the church. Are you an expert? You know all the ways that the church has failed? Jesus knows them all better than you do. He's fully aware of the failures and the shortcomings and the fallings of his bride, and yet he loves her, and he pursues her, and he's jealous for her, and he's passionate about her. He regards the company of God's people as his precious, cherished bride. So when we choose a bad attitude against the church, it actually offends Jesus. Secondly, we should love and value the church because Jesus simply commands us to. Even if you can't wrap around the fact that this is Jesus' bride, it is commanded that we love and value the church. There are many, many passages that speak of this, but John 13 specifically, when Jesus washes his disciples' feet, John 13, verse, 40, uh, verse 14, Jesus said, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. After this amazing, humble display of serving love, Jesus didn't demand that the disciples come and wash his feet. He actually says, go care for one another. Go love one another. In a strange way, our love for Jesus is not measured by our love for Jesus directly, but by the way that we love and care for each other. Amen? So let's go back to our passage we read earlier and close this out. I think Peter touches amazing, this is one of my favorite passages, on exactly what I'm talking about here. We're going to look at verse 9 in our passage. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That's the church. That, so that, this is why, this is why you're the church, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Verse 10, once you were not a people, we were not a thing before, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And Peter says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Verse 12, and I think this is the key here. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable 
so that when they speak of you against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. Why a holy Catholic church? Why? So that when people will see a community of disciples living out the implications of the, con- of the gospel in the context of community, they may see that and glorify Jesus. That they would see our love and our unity and our connection and our working together for the good of the gospel and they would glorify Jesus. That we as a people would proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness and into marvelous light. So that people would see this colony of heaven in the country of death. That they would see a community living out new creation life now. Love and forgiveness, grace and mercy, and a pursuit of holiness, pursuit of Jesus. So what does this mean for us now? What does this mean in this transition? What does this mean? Meeting in this room does not make us refuge. That's not what makes us a church. Meeting at 9.30 in the morning or 9.37 does not, is not what makes us refuge. But this community, our love for one another, the way we care for each other, the way we provoke each other towards godliness, the way we pray for each other, the way we challenge each other to grow in our discipleship, that's what makes us refuge. That's what makes us a people who are not a people. We have an opportunity in this next season. I think meeting at 4 p.m. actually is going to be really strategic for this. We have an opportunity in this next season to really focus on community, to focus on mission. Let's not waste our Sunday mornings, guys. Spend time together. Have brunch. Think of ways to be on mission. And then let's come together at 4 p.m. Let's worship. Let's exalt Jesus. Let's be reminded of the gospel and go back out every week to proclaim the excellencies of him who has brought us out of darkness and into marvelous light. Amen? Let me pray real quick. The worship team can come back up. Father, I just thank you that you have taken a group of people who were not a people and you have made us a people. That you are forming us into your image and likeness in the context of community, in the context of a group of people, some of whom we love and cherish, some of whom we don't know, and some of us who might even bother each other. And all of that, is working out for our good and your glory. God, I pray that you would help us to walk in your ways, that you would help us to watch our conduct in the context of outsiders, that they would see our love, that they would see our pursuit of you, and they would glorify Jesus. 
Father, we love you and we bless you. Amen.